Welcome to SoFlow by Lucas Millar. <laughs> Lucas's latest collection of 13 short stories, ranging from the gross and silly to heart-wrenching thrillers of cosmic proportions. Join Lucas as he takes you beyond the beaches and shows you the dark side of the Sunshine State. Welcome to SoFlow, a collection of weird Florida horror by Lucas Millar. Available January 14th, 2024. Brought to you by the Evil Cookie Publishing. My, my, my thing was set too loud. Paul, is that a painting, the circle? Uh, it's a poster. Yeah. It's uh, funny. It's, <laughs> it's like a star chart, but it's like of all mm-hmm. horror movies and horror actors. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, nice. I, I bought it like probably over five years ago and then I found it. I was like, Oh, I'm going to put this up. And it actually looks like it's just a hole in my wall or something. It does. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have the uh, disembodied mannequin head tonight? Uh, I do not. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> is, is John Langan hiding in your room? <laughs> Always. No, but, but I have my prize <laughs> Christmas present. Oh, nice. A replica of the 1977 awesome. Shogun Godzilla that I have. Yeah. 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 Does the fist pop off? Head. The fist pop, the fist shoots. Yeah. Oh my god. I saw this replica in Newbury Comics. I bought it like in near tears. I came home, I, I gave it, I gave it to Lisa and I said, wrap this. And this is the greatest present that you've ever bought me. My <laughs> my original 1979 uh time traveler from Micronauts really wants to come play with him. So <laughs> bring him this weekend. Uh I don't know. I'll lose the fist if I bring him. Yeah, I I had the I had the original. And my yeah. God, I've I've tried getting them on eBay a couple times. Oh, I I just went. I did an eBay deep dive, and like they were like five hundred bucks, even with yeah. the missing fist. I'm like, yep. no, holy shit. <laughs> Hello, and thank you for joining us in our fifth season. If it's your first time here, please hit the subscribe button for more episodes like this one. If you're returning, thank you and welcome back. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And our other friend, Candice Nola. Say hello, Candice. Hello. Today, we're talking everything horror with panelists Mariana Enriquez. Say hi, Mariana. Hi. Brian Keen, say hello, Brian. Hello, Brian. Uh, I was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> say hello. Uh, damn it. Got to throw it off. Uh, Paul Tremblay, say hello, Paul. Hello, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, Gabino Iglesias, say hello, sir. Oh, man, they already ruined the joke. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> and Cena Palayo, say hello. Hello. Every panelist here is a part of Oh, I jumped ahead. My apologies. Horror is many things to many people. It's forever evolving. And with evolution comes change. We find ourselves in a time when voices of uh, all walks of life has an opportunity to tell the world their story. Every, every panelist here is part of that change. But two in particular had historic accomplishments in that arena last year. That would be Sina Palayo. She won a Stoker War last year for a superior achievement in a poetry collection. Uh, that book is Crime Scene. Uh, making her the first Latina in history to win a Stoker. Then we have Gabino Iglesias winning the Stoker for super uh, superior achievement in a novel for his book, The Devil Takes You Home. 
So congratulations, you two and Cena. Cabino, this question's for the two of you, but we'll start with Cena. Uh, what does winning the Stoker mean to you? I mean, I was I was breathless there, and I'm still processing it. And I felt the weight of it for so many reasons. I mean, my father had died. We were very close, and he supported my love of horror. And the next day was Father's Day. And so I couldn't celebrate that moment with him. And just being up on the stage, I kind of felt like this is bigger than me in a way. Because now it's just not, it's always just been me just sitting here and writing. But now I have other younger and newer authors looking to me as a, even more of a role model. So what do I want them to think and feel? Like I still need to stay true to myself and what I want to say and communicate but I have that added pressure and it's, it's a big point of pride. It's, it's not only the honor of being a Bram Stoker winner, that alone, it's like massive, but then to be the first Latina, it's, it's huge. So I have to, I think I'm now that I'm kind of coming down from the grief process, I'm starting to think about how I need to think about that a little bit more. Hmm. Interesting. Definitely. Um, Cabino, what about you? I don't know, man. I have a, uh, I tend to process things rather quickly. So it was like, it was, it was everything. And then it was nothing. And it was everything again. <laughs> so it was like, Hey, we did it. It's, it's good. It's good for me. Uh, it's good because now um, when I attach my name to a blurb that might mean something for folks and make them pick up a book from someone who I support, um, I when I go out asking for blurbs, I don't think people are gonna know me. So now I can say, "Hey, you don't know me, but you know this thing," and I want it. So that, that might, you know, push you to give me a blurb. Um, it was it was sort of like, all right, so I got this. So it means that my agent's gonna be proud that she she took a chance on me, and my editor at Mulholland's gonna be proud. Uh, Cena's not gonna be angry at me that she had to do this alone. Um, there was a lot of people there uh, who have been supporting me, Becky Spratford, Paul, Brian, uh, Cena. And it was like, it was, it was a communal thing for me. It was like, I want it, but it's, you know, these folks have been supporting me for so many years that, that it feels like you wanted it for yeah. them. Um, and then the next day I was, I was at the airport and it was sort of like, wow, it's, it's Richard Lehman. It's Stephen King. It's Paul Tremblay, John Langan, Sarah Langan. Um, I, I joined that club. Um, and then I was like, let me look at who else is on the list. And I was like, that's, that's a lot of white folks. That's incredibly talented bunch of white folks. Uh, yeah, about damn time someone brought the flavor. Uh, so I'm very glad it was me. And uh, on the same historical night that, that Cena became not only the first Puerto Rican, but a woman to boot. Um, so that was, you know, when I held the list at the end of the thing, and I was like, a bunch of races are going to be so angry. Stay salty, motherfuckers. Um, it, was, it was a wonderful night, and I'm still, uh, still very proud. And then, I don't know, two days later, three days later, it was like, all right, it's never happening again. Uh, yeah. Certainly not happening with the next, next one. Paul has a novel this year. Stephen Graham Jones has two novels. Josh Mallerman has a novel. Uh, so it was like, all right, I need to get back to work because it's it's like, yeah, hooray, you had one good novel. 
Um, and now it's a challenge. Like, what are you going to do? Like we paid attention once um, and you have to go out and hustle even harder um, to stay there and, and, and get nominated again and, and prove to people that you're not a one hit wonder because that'd be sad. Right. So yeah, <laughs> it's a challenge now. Now, before Brennan jumps in with a question, I just I don't want to take away from uh, Paul, Mariana, or Brian. If you guys have anything to add to this, if not, that's fine. Uh, anyone want to jump in? Brennan, take over, buddy. <laughs> uh, first, I, I did. It, it really sticks out to me, Gabino, that your first thing that you your first place that you went to was. Uh, now my blurbs are going to mean more. That's so incredibly you to be like, Hey, I'm building up people and now I can build them up even harder because yeah. this happened to me. Um, I got, I got cred. <laughs> yeah. But, but seriously, that's, that just, when I, when I, when I think of, of people who are just so incredibly uh, authentic about uh, building up the next generation, you know, your name certainly sticks out, <laughs> frankly, all the people on this panel, uh, are are very good about you know learning from the generation that comes before and helping the generation that comes next. So no surprise there. So let me throw I mean, out something from Brian. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say yeah. we learned that from Brian. Like no. I feel like if you look at right, it's funny Brian calls them his Avengers, but it's true. Like, <laughs> James Rathwhite and I. It was and we were at the store. We were at the table. So James Rathwhite and I were like. We were like, talk, like, why is he like that? He just helps people. And yeah. James said the same thing. He was like, he's got like an army in his building. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I'm just I'm just paying forward what was done for me by, you know, Dick Lehman and Jack Ketchum and and folks like that, you know. And and I now I see y'all doing it, you know. And uh hopefully the ones you're doing it for will pay it forward five, ten years from now. Yeah. Very cool. You know what? Let's let's run with that. So, uh, Brian, we definitely wanted to bring up, you know, your next career adventure, which is opening a bookstore. And, you know, I'd love to hear you talk just a little bit about that, but also throw out, you know, that reputation you've built of helping the next generation and how that ties into your bookstore. Well, um, the big thing that I've been mulling over for the last year, definitely the last year, is these generational shifts that happen in our industry. Um, we are at a time when horror fiction has never been more popular. I've done the math going all the way back to the pulps. Horror fiction has never been more popular than it is right now. Um, there are more authors writing and, and publishing it now, uh, not only in mainstream, but in the independent press, self-published, etc. And there are more authors from, traditionally marginalized communities and groups who are not only writing and publishing, but who are having an enormous amount of success doing so. Um, but what strikes me is that as we have all of these new authors coming up, we still have an entire generation of, of horror authors now in their, their seventies, their eighties um, who are still hustling to try to pay the bills, to try to get that next book out. You know, Gabino and I talk a lot in private about the hustle. Um, but what I'm learning is that the hustle doesn't end for the, for some of those writers, for most of those writers. And uh, 
that's a scary place to be in because you you reach that age and people aren't reading you the way they used to. And I think that's normal. I think that's natural. Um, younger authors are going to read, you know, or excuse me, younger readers are going to read authors who, who they feel is theirs. You know, Paul's a great example. Uh, my son is 16. He, his girlfriend, every one of their friends, Paul's their favorite author. Um, you know, my kid has bragging rights all over high school that, <laughs> Yeah, I talked to Paul Tremblay at my dad's wedding. You know, um, it, you know Stephen King was my author. My son doesn't read Stephen King. You know, he's reading Paul Tremblay. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I'm 56. I see the time coming in another 10 years when I'm going to be in that same situation as some of, the, some of these other older authors. And I want an escape plan. I want a retirement plan. And, and that's why I'm opening a bookstore. Um, it's a nice little secondary revenue stream, you know, while I can also write. But it's a secondary revenue stream that I can use to lift everybody up. Those ahead of me, those coming up behind me, those coming up behind them. It's it's my end game to, to go back to Cena and Gabino's Avengers analogy that, you know, this is what I came up with for the end game. I am Iron Man. <laughs> Actually, Batman, but it's all right. <laughs> why, not, why not both, man? <laughs> Iron Batman. <laughs> Ooh. Had to keep the analogy going. All right. Uh, I want to throw out a question uh, just for everybody. And given that we kind of have a broad topic of all things horror, uh, let's talk being a horror slash speculative fiction author slash crime, dark side of the room author uh, in 2024. What's our role? What's the role of a horror writer in 2024? Are we still that group of people that have to hold a mirror up to society uh, with, you know, the ever increasing popularity of streaming and the decreasing attention spans. Are we, you know, just storytellers and entertainers or do we have to fall in the middle? Uh, Mariana, I'd love to throw it to you first. What's the role of the dark fiction writer in 2024? I feel like personally, I feel like I'm a realist at this point. So, um, no, no, really. They're just like, <laughs> metaphorical realist and I I was listening to Brian and yes he, he says horror fiction has never been so popular and sometimes it's true and sometimes I feel that well there's a reason for that but also what's happening is that there's horror fiction and that's kind of my take on what I was listening and at some point in some way, my um, how how can I say my opinion about what's going on and what our role is that it's becoming more popular and more people are writing horror fiction in what I believe is the place where it, the horror fiction is more marginalized. That is countries that don't speak English in general. There's very few horror writers in Spanish language. There's few, few. I mean, not there. We don't have in. If you come to 
Buenos Aires has a lot of bookshops. Do we have a place like a lot? It's like the country that has more bookshops in its capital city in the world or something like that. You go to a bookshop, you see a horror fiction. No. It's mixed. It's still not really accepted as something serious. And yet, in our countries, in every country, but in our countries, there's a lot to say if you want to think about it as a mirror to society in horror. And it, it's used a lot that way. Most of the horror writers in Spanish, for example, are also political writers. I am an example of that. So um, what I think that it's kind of, I don't know if what we have to do or whatever, is uh, starting to read work, what people are producing and writing outside of um the outside of the US outside of the UK and uh and even in Europe like there's writers in I don't know I'm I'm a, became a huge fan of a writer from Hungary it's called Attila Veres he's like oh my god and he's completely different when he's talking about so I think what we can do as horror writers maybe is open you know and try to see how, what is horror fiction doing to people in other countries? Because I think before the streaming and everything, that is kind of, to me, it's kind of not, it's, it's kind of thinking that this horror fiction is written only in this language, in this tradition. And to a point, it's like that. Because, you know, I have no, this, those are my influences. I have no problem with that. But what's going on in other countries and in other languages is pretty amazing. I'm very um, kind of flattered that my novel is well read or, or people like liked it in other places because it's amazingly local. <laughs> like I can throw you like 20 references that you're not catching and you don't have to because you're not. But when I was young and I was reading horror, my first horror writer was Stephen King, like, well, Lovecraft and Paul, you know, the classic, but the first one that I said, wow, was Stephen King. I had no idea where Maine was. I had no idea what Maine was. Do you know if it was invented? Could be to me, like, you know, Macondo, whatever. It doesn't matter. And uh, And when I was reading him, I really wasn't, you know, I really like, I really don't like the concept of identification. Like I, I identify with this character. I feel like I I don't need that. I need to know what's going on. I need, yes, I think we are storytellers is the, the short story, but we should be, um, I think, storytellers, storytellers of other um, realities too, of other literatures, of what's going on everywhere, because it's also... The first time I think we are so connected. So it's absolutely ridiculous to have these pools, you know, of and what's going on out, out there is amazing. And we don't have the label horror, which is kind of a blessing and a curse. I love that answer. I, I, I just jotted down storytellers of other realities. That's such a cool label to put on it. Um, Paul. Let's throw it to you. Role of the horror writer. What do you think? 
Well, it's funny, the last thing Mariana said about a blessing and the curse about the horror section, uh, you know, it's <laughs> wonderful to walk into a Barnes & Noble and see like a big fat horror section that's not just Stephen King. But at the same time, like, I don't know, I, I kind of miss going into bookstores and everything was just in fiction. And I feel like, you know, I I could get grabbed by a cover or, or a description. And I feel like we we sort of maybe lose, you know, that's my little worry is like, you know, how do we get to new sort of readers <laughs> You know, if we're, you know, especially in the U.S. And it's really the U.S. because even in the U.K., there's, I'd say it's, there's an even, there's much more of a stigma associated with genre fiction in the U.K. than there is in the U.S. Yeah. Um, and, and similar, like, I mean, when I was in Madrid for six days, we went to bookstores and, you know, there were wasn't really horror sections to be found. So I don't know. It's a, it's like she said, I think it's both a blessing and a curse. In terms of like, man, what's our role? Like, <laughs> if I sat around thinking, you know, I guess I have the luxury to not think about it, but like, uh, that would paralyze me. <laughs> you know, I can only <laughs> think about, um, you know, what I'm going to do as, you know, as a writer myself, you know, and hopefully other writers too. But I think what makes sense is, you know, if, if I am writing a horror story for anybody else, I hope, and I'm going to steal a quote from Caesar Aria. I hope I'm have the right yep. author um, to disturb, you know, write fiction that, disturbs the comfortable but comforts the disturbed you know and there are so many different ways you can do that and he wasn't necessarily talking about horror either he was just talking about literature in general but to me that, that's become sort of like my recent sort of mantra that i think about um in terms of what it is and honestly i think what it is we're also going to have to do i think all writers whether it's horror or not not to bump people out but i think people really need to start thinking about writing stories that could not be written by ai like you're going to have to, uh, that has to be some sort of consideration. Yep. Um, you know, whether that means, I don't know, like, yeah, I, I'm not hundred percent sure what that means. I feel like I have a little, a cheat code because I'm always doing like, Oh, here's a blog post or here's a, here's a screenplay or here's like something in a circle. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, in some ways they get similar to the idea of like, you know, you shouldn't be writing necessarily your story, imagining it to be a movie. Um, Anyway, so I don't know. I, I'm not going to try to rehash what other people said that was, you know, really brilliant. I would just sort of only add, like, one of the fears that I have and certainly going to inform my work is thinking about sort of, you know, what's happening with AI. Yeah, and, you know, it, I think it's worth throwing on the side uh, that it, it's definitely appreciated by the writing community that, you know, you've kind of built this platform off the success of your books and uh, having the movie uh, come out last year. And you're using that platform to combat this very real problem that's flying in the face of, of, of a lot of writers. So, I mean, if we're talking uh, what we're looking at in modern times, that's what we're looking at in modern times. Yeah, uh, we'll, so, we'll thank the lawyers are doing all the hard work. <laughs> Don't thank me. Yet. <laughs> but they're putting your name on it, so yeah. I assume you signed off on that at some point. Uh, Cena, same question. Rule. Big question. What is the role of the horror author in society today to make people uncomfortable and to ask the questions? and sometimes answer those questions that people don't want to face. And I think that what the horror author does that a lot of society is uncomfortable with is we bring them to the point of discomfort. We show you a range of issues, whether it's social, political, or maybe we just explore areas that are extreme. And 
I think there is something to be learned by being brought to that point of discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. I'll keep it brief because I want to hear from everyone. <laughs> I'm just like. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Gabino, how about you? I don't know, man. When I was growing up, I just wanted to be Brian Keene. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, <laughs> uh, what what don't we do? Anything your genre can do, my genre can do better. Uh, we we teach about empathy. We give you controlled chaos. We 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 entertain. We've created spaces where it's like you don't know what it's like to be a black man or or a woman or or a trans person. Um, and they felt welcome. And now they're telling us their story from their points of view. So I'm, I'm learning, I'm expanding my horizons. I'm, I'm being, uh, and Mariana said this beautifully, I'm, I'm, I'm being political. I'm talking about racial stuff. I'm, I'm writing in Spanglish. I'm doing, um, I'm talking about borders and I'm talking about society and I'm talking about poverty and I'm talking about, you know, diversity and representation and multiculturalism. And um, it's the genre where we can do all that because, we were never, and again, I think Mariana mentioned this, we were never respected. So it was like, we weren't literature with a capital L. Um, we were the, the dirty kids at the kids table. And uh, we just never cared as, as a genre. Like I grew up with uh, Brian Keane, surprisingly, because he's very young, but uh, Brian Keane and, and Bentley Little and, and Richard Lehman and, and Stephen King. And that was not like all the other stuff that other people were reading, but they also didn't care. So like the covers didn't care and the, they murdered people and they didn't care and they were gory and funny and entertaining. And um, I think I remember reading Brian and being like, this is a white guy putting gay people in his novels. Like there's something going on here. Like there's a reason why he's doing this and other folks are not doing that. Um, and, and we do that because our, our genre was, was that like, we didn't have to pay respects to anybody. We were the mongrels and uh you know, you don't you don't give us a space at the table. We just make a bigger table out of the bones of our enemies. And now it's like, oh, we're huge because we have a, a, you know, a John Langan and a Tramway and a Brian Keene and a Josh Mallerman and a Cynthia Pelayo and a Hailey Piper and Eric LaRocca. And it's like, yeah, but we, we didn't come to you. You came to us. Like, we're still going to do what we've always been doing. So we're going to be nasty and political. And we're going to be, Brandon, you, you mentioned that mirror. Uh, we genre fiction especially horror and crime that's what we do you i don't i'm not gonna talk about trump because it's kind of boring but i'm gonna put it in my stories and you're gonna read about it and you're gonna go oh okay um to steal uh from stephen graham jones he said uh, horror fiction is like a cake so you put the shiny stuff on top the ghosts and the werewolves and the vampires and the haunted houses and then the inner part of the cake is like your politics <laughs> but, but you you called people over um, with the tasty stuff and, uh, and we keep doing that. So whatever your genre can do, we can do better. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, no, that's fabulous. I love the way that, I mean, like almost like y'all planned it, the, the interconnected answers. I mean, where, where we, we, we start off with the kind of bringing, um, you know, the, the, the world together for lack of better words, but just, you know, uh, taking that whole idea that the internet and modern times have made the world smaller, but, you know, we still need avenues to kind of understand each other uh, and to tell your truth to disturb the comfortable. Um, yeah, really cool. Brian, how about you? Yeah, I, I would like to further bring it together. Um, 
you know, like Paul, I'm uh, I'm a I'm a member of uh, several lawsuits regarding AI, uh, hoping to represent indie authors. I think they should have a voice too. Um, but you know, Gabino brought up empathy, and Paul brought up uh, we need to start writing things that AI can't write. As human beings, it, it doesn't matter who you are. There are universal things we all share. We all know what a baby or a puppy dog smells like. We all know what a first kiss feels like. We all know what it feels like to get your heart broken. AI cannot duplicate that yet. A AI can write a novel. It can write a movie, but it, it can't accurately describe what a newborn baby smells like when you're holding it or what that feels like to get your heart broken. Um, and I, I think we all need to, we need to do that. We need to put our heart into whatever we're working on next. And, uh, you know, talk about those universal truths that we all share. Um, you know, we're, we're splintering as a society, not just along political lines, but along every line imaginable. And, uh, you know, that's not a healthy place to be. And, and yeah, I've, I've always said, I think of myself as an entertainer first. Um, you know, it's it's a debate Nick Mamatas and I have been having for 20 years. Uh, but even an entertainer can tell truths. Even an entertainer can, can you know, show a truth, show a value in something and, and bring everyone together, unite people through it. I mean, Taylor Swift does it. So, you know, I don't see why we can't. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I think our task is going forward this year. Very cool. Nice cap on it, too. Um, Candace, go ahead and take it, my friend. I, I think I want to see where we can take things within this next year with the rise of inclusion and what you all think about the rise of different voices within our world now with regards to how we write and why we write it. Paul, let's start with you and then we'll come back down the line. <laughs> There's too many folks on the screen. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, it was beautifully said. Um, no, I mean, to me, that's the most exciting thing that's happening uh, with horror literature is, you know, the number of own voices that are not only being published, but, you know, being published successfully. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and I hope, and this is really sort of on the publishers as well as the readership, my hope is that, you know, they keep it going and actually put a push behind these authors as opposed to just spitting out like, you know, 10 books a month. And and those like, I mean, that that is sort of the publishing model. That's not unique to, <laughs> it's really not unique to horror. But, uh, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, place in it, you know, you know I just feel proud and privileged that, I can play whatever small part I've, I, I, or, or not even a part, like, but that I get to sort of join in on this conversation to me, because that's kind of what I imagine, you know, horror fiction or any genre, if you're working within a genre and horror in particular, it's this getting close to almost 200 year long conversation. And now the conversation is finally, you know, within the last 10 years, you know, expanded to let more people to join that conversation. To me, it just, it remains really exciting to be a part of it. You know, and I, I can't wait to see where it goes next. Thanks. Uh, 
Pina. <laughs> Sorry, I can't talk at all tonight. I have it muted because you might hear I'm in Chicago, so you'll hear sirens. So the sirens are going. Um, they're gone. Um it's funny, I was I was just booking my book launch event, and it's gonna take place downtown Chicago at the same location that my dad would drop me off for school. And I remember I was born in, he was born in Puerto Rico. I was born in Puerto Rico. And I just remember the fear that my dad had every time he dropped me off downtown and he would be like, Sina, you have to behave. You have to, what are you wearing today? I don't, don't talk back. Listen, get good grades. He was always so scared how I would be perceived. And he was like, I, I need you to be good, behave, get good grades. They're very important. That was always what he would say. They're very important people downtown. I'm like, dad, but you're dropping me off downtown too, to go study with these people. And like, I remember grad my graduation, it was at this place where my book launch is going to be. And I remember I was laughing after I got my diploma. My dad's like, don't laugh. Like there's, I'm like, dad, but I'm part of this. And I think that's finally when it clicked. And so this is just a long winded way of saying that it's fun, finally kind of come full circle for me that I'm a part of something that I think my dad could never have imagined growing up in the 1940s in a wooden house that had a dirt floor. He had a latrine. And then he came here, had us. I don't think he would ever expect that the place that he would drop me off at downtown, that he was so terrified of how I would be perceived. Like, don't you know, speak properly. Like, now I'm going to have a book launch. And I think, I wish, I just wish he could see it because I, I, I could just hear him laughing of how proud he would be. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, how me working in the industry for one is, uh, you know, um, it's an act of uh, rebellion, an act of rebellion. My father was involved in a lot of um, protests and, I mean, he marched uh, in the Division Street riots and he remembered when Dr. King marched here. And so for him to know that his daughter is part of something that's much bigger, I think he would just lose it laughing and just so proud. And I like to write things that are universal now. I think Forgotten Sisters deals with a group of immigrants that came that were came to Chicago in the 19, early 1900s, Irish, German, Polish. And so I'm starting to explore different types of immigrants and immigrant experiences because I feel like they're universal. People, I will always say that horror writers, all horror writers are empaths. Like we can write a range of emotions from like the bad guy to the good guy. And so I think there's something very magical about us. And so right now that's my happy place is being able to explore things that are universal. So that's my long-winded answer of inclusivity. <laughs> Okay, that's great. Good now. let's come over to you. So like uh, late last year, I was given the opportunity to select um, 10 of the very best horror books of 2023 for the New York Times. And I remember in the process of, I'd already submitted the thing, we were going through it. And I was like, there's a lot of, weird squiggly lines um, under this because I had like um, Maria Fernanda Ampuero, uh, Gustavo Eduardo Abrevalla, and Mariana on that list. And then I was like, oh, 
So if we take this three and then we add Silvia Moreno Garcia, that's like, first of all, that's a lot of women. And also that's a lot of brown folks. That's a lot of Latinos in there, like four out of 10. Um, it's something special is happening. And I think it's, um, it's wonderful to see. And I don't think you can put that genie bag in the bottle. Like it's yeah. who's, who's horror for? Well, it's absolutely for everyone. And we've been telling y'all for years. And so, you know, it's out there, it's growing, it's going places. Um, it's amazing to see. I see, cause I teach too. So I see the newer <laughs> generation just uh, not being afraid of, well, I'm going to put my pronouns on my bio because I know I'm not going to get discriminated. I'm going to be able to find an agent or an indie publisher, um, even if I am trans, even if I am a Black woman who's never published anything before. Uh, there is a space for me and I can self-publish. I can go with an indie press. I can look for an agent. Um, it's it's the golden age because we have all these avenues and you know they're all valid as long as you get your story out. So uh in any way, I think Paul said this, any any way that I can help with that, it's like I celebrate it because I rode that wave. And, uh, you know, we have one of the biggest authors in this country right now is Sean Cosby. And Sean and I came up together. And I remember him saying right after my darkest prayer when he started doing well, it was like, I'm coming for everything they said I couldn't have. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I'm like, whenever someone tells me, now you can't do that or you know, you have more readers now. You should cut back on the Spanish. Then it's like, nah, I'm coming for everything they said I couldn't have. And, and now it's it's a collective thing. Like, we're coming for everything y'all said we couldn't have. So it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. That's what I was going to say. All right. So we have Mariana left, and then we'll take it over to Brian. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm I'm the one that has to be included. <laughs> No, really. There's two dimensions when you come from um, outside in in many ways. Mm. Like, um, uh, I write in Spanish originally. I can't write in any other language. I don't want to write in any other language. And I write with my references literary and of reality and I don't want to write with other references so to me first is the first circle there is what happens within my literary community I come from um as Cynthia said is Cynthia really like I'm yeah. saying it in Spanish so yeah. um, my family is a very like uh you know activist kind of family i come from a place of rebellion in itself that's not necessarily like sometimes i find that because you are from you know a latin american country you're necessary and not we are we have like amazing reactionaries here like my president now is google him that's a horror story and um so that's the first part where it's forever. I, I started writing and publishing when I was 17, 18. So the first thing was, um, why are you writing genre? It was like nobody, not only nobody was doing it, but 
as a young woman writer that was non there were not that many and choosing genre my first novel is not that much horror but because i didn't know how to do it it would have been <laughs> so it's more like you know bread easton ellis meets by barker but because i didn't really know how to do something else i was very young so that was for years we're like okay now you're young but what are you going to do when you are an old woman, an older woman? And are you going to keep doing horror? Like nobody's doing it in Spanish. And it's absolutely has not only no prestige, but no um, scene. That's a bit even more scary because, you know, you can, you don't have, you don't, you don't have peers like at all. Yeah. Spanish in general, but also in, in Argentina in particular. And now that changed dramatically. Dramatically. I mean, the Gabino was saying, and just those out of those four, one only one is uh, uh, writing in English, not translated, Sylvia. You guys mm -hmm. are all translated. But that is really recent. Yeah. Even real recent, like not 10 years recent. So to me, it's always been like a very big difference between, I've never thought in terms of translation. Like I always had, because where I come from, um, the notion I have of politics and of global power, how it works, to me, it was always... The literature that is produced in the North, in these countries, is the literature that you consume. But you're not there. You never will be there because they not only they won't read you, they don't care about you at all. And maybe they care about the immigrants that are going there because they're living there and they're, you know, citizens or, or working there. But you're, I mean, they, you're not in their radar. They don't, they don't. It doesn't really matter. You consume that. You read those books. Those are the books that um, are your influences. But that is not, those are not your peers. That was very, in my mind, in a way that now, to being able to publish in different languages, to me is very surreal, in a way, because really, it's very difficult to explain, but that's not, that's that's really not for you and um and f that is slowly changing it's not that like it's really changing but i you can see it i was like two months ago three months ago i was in el paso in the university of texas in el paso and they have a writing program in spanish and what was amazing was that most of the kids had writing genre are bilingual and I, and I write in general, in Texas, in El Paso, in front of Ciudad Juarez. Mm. It was amazing. I mean, it was because I was invited to the program, but it was not necessary that they were, they could be writing anything. I mean, it's just a writing, a creative writing program. <laughs> They're all into horror, like insanely into horror. And they were like, have you read this? Have you read that? Have you? And they knew much more than me. And there was like, I had a long discussion about the Thomas Ligotti story about an angel. It was insane. It was going on. This girl from Venezuela that was buying, you know, changing dollars and sending dollars to Venezuela. And 
and she was amazing. Like she, she read the stories uh, to me in Spanish, writes in Spanish too, but in the U.S. So that is slowly changing. But mm-hmm. I always feel it was not a problem to me. I, not a problem in the sense that when you are, when you feel that much outside, you just try to, you know, find your place in your country, in your scene, but the world is not for you. And the fact that it's changing, well, it's, it's pretty amazing, really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's... Um, but, yes, the, the sense of it's surreal. So, really, the, the sense of... of now, I, I want to do whatever I want. I'm not going to. I don't. I don't care. Just the, what the thing that was never supposed to happen happened. So that's it. Yeah. All right, Brian. What are your thoughts on the rise of inclusive, including all the diverse voices that are out there now? Well, I mean, I'm old enough to remember and. Cabino knows this because he and I have talked about this privately. I'm old enough to remember when there was one Mexican horror writer, my best friend, the the John Langan to my Paul Tremblay, J.F. Gonzalez, Jesus Gonzalez. Um, and something I I have never ever tooted my own horn about, and I never will toot my own horn about, but something that Rath James White and Maurice brought us like to bring up with people is. I'm old enough to remember when I put together the genre's very first black horror writer panel because there were five and that was enough for a panel and we'd never had something like that before. And I thought it might be interesting. That was back in 2001. Um, So yeah, to look from then to now, I mean, my God and Cthulhu, it's 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 night and day difference, and it's amazing and it's invigorating. Um, I wish Jesus had, was alive to see it. Uh you know, I I came into this as a fan. I was a fan long before I ever started doing this for a living. I was told I couldn't do this for a living. I was, you know told I'd go to jail or be a pretty good criminal or be a pretty good factory worker or or truck driver. And I was good at all those things, in fact. Um, But, you know, I'm okay at this gig, too. Um, I've always been a fan of the genre. I will die a fan of the genre. I I love the genre. Um, It has given me the best friends I've ever had in my life. It's, It's led me to my wife. Um would have never met her without this and i've been able to to give back to a field that has given me so much mm-hmm. um you know i but our work's not done uh my for those who don't know my stepdaughter is trans and it, it's funny she and i were talking about this over christmas um i think for some of us of a certain age who remember that time, how it used to be, and, and look at how things are now, it, there's a tendency to sit back and say, ah, you know, it's all good now, but it, it's not. Um, you know, we got to 
we got to continue to fight for people and we got to continue to pave the way. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of my goal. As I, as I said before, with this bookstore, it's, it's to uplift everybody, you know? Um, so that's my thoughts. Um, sorry, kids. I was just saying thank you for that. And now Pat has one more, I believe. I don't know how many times we mentioned that Brian, your show was a huge inspiration for Brian and I when we started out. And uh, I just wanted to point out that it's really neat if you're a fan or or you're gonna jump into the show. It's uh, the hard show with Brian Keane. It's really neat to hear the first episode. I just Jack Ketchum the first time Mary was on is pretty much tied for what my favorite episodes are of your show. But it's really neat hearing the uh, evolution of your guys's relationship. Going from instantly best friends to just, you know, husband and wife. So just yep. uh, for people that aren't aware of your show, um, probably everyone is that's listening to this one, but definitely check that out. Thanks. Uh, yeah, man. I got one more question, and then we're going to do final thoughts. Um, so everyone pretty much touched on place. Uh, Mariana, you were you, you had some emphasis on it and the importance. So. I'm just wondering, uh, places when places used as horror itself, how important is geographical location to you? And this is for everyone, but I, I do want to start with uh, you, Mariana. Um, mm -hmm. how, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? No, it's to me, it's absolutely important because to me, the, the location I treat as a character and uh, they influence each other. I'm very much, I'm a big um, believer, let's say in psychogeography so i really use that concept of because i m most of what i write is uh, about i think is about memory and um, i think therefore history of course and therefore politics but memory is like the and keeping the and, and keeping the memory i think places are keepers of of memory but uh, so I treat them as characters. To me, they have uh, a personality. They can spread a certain vibe. They can. They have a history. A history that is, you know, trying to be changed. So I'm. I'm really uh, interested in in from from the gentrification in the city to the destruction of the environment, and not necessarily, you know, writing environmental horror or, or, or whatever it is but to me it's, it's very important because you can see how things change and sometimes how the 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 place redefines fiction um for example not to put me as an example but this is a writer that is very uh well known and it's argentinian too samantha schwebling when fever dream this is short novella that was very had a lot of you know uh very good reviews and there was very very well received with a reason because it's terrifying she uses um uh our uh campo that is kind of the 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 land you know the land to be where agriculture happens and in the past let's say 10 15 years that landscape changed 
from a place of um peace and quiet yes very big and the pampas and you know that but it was kind of the place of the rich the place of the of of, of the work it's kind of edenic thing to hell and that hell is because of you know the growth of soy that is needed for certain products and the poison that they put in it so they're poisoning people they're poisoning the land they're poisoning the rivers they're poisoning everything and Samantha made this short novella that it's about that but it's not that it's something that horror does it's at the same time it's not as at the same time it's a mother a child story etc but also the camp because of what was what is happening change literature because there's a whole tradition of literature that puts that landscape into a place of peace and it signifies that that no longer signifies that at all so to me places have that they can change they can influence your characters they're absolutely important i mostly use cities big cities and um my cities this i know and uh the, the other place I use a lot is the northeast of Argentina because it has a very particular feel because it's a border, because it's a liminal space, because it's it's a border with Brazil. So the language is very Portuguese and Spanish. It's very mixed because it's a liminal space in terms of belief. We have the more Catholic side of ours and then the more Afro-Caribbean kind of religion. So it's kind of a very liminal space in many ways, so I use that. And then I use what I call spaces of imagination that have to do with the things I, uh, you know, heard, uh, watched, etc. Like LA, for example. LA is a place that scares me. I think it's because of David Lynch, but it really scares me. <laughs> and I, I'm like, it, it just, you know, I... It really scared. I can't. I I I can't deal with it. And I remember I was staying at the Biltmore Hotel. I was terrified, and um, like terrified. I ended up writing about it because I was terrified. And I go. They take me, you know, to excursions. Let's go to Laurel Canyon, and I'm all the time waiting for some kind of, I don't know, you know, new. Uh, how do you say? Um, like Tedabara coming from somewhere. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm absolutely scared of it. And, uh, and that's a place of imagination. It's like, there's nothing... Well, some things are creepy. But I, what I mean is, it's a, it's, a, it's a place that is really on my mind. And I ended up like writing like two stories in LA in a place which I've only been like two times in my life. But that is the... To me, it has a, a character. To me, they are characters, and that, for example, to me, LA is like the villain in my mind. It spooks me. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's uh, it's it's very it's very important, and I think also it tells a lot of a story of how people live. Like I was talking the other day to um, a writer, horror writer from Egypt, and. Uh, for example, people live in the big cemetery in uh, in Cairo. They mm. live there. They have houses there. So they, because of course, 
like think about it. It's, it's a country, and as many of our countries, it's a country that has a a, 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 a problem with uh, uh, people having houses. This is this this a better term of saying that, but I can't remember now. And uh, of course, it's one in Egypt. So the people say, "Why is it all these dead people in this empty space?" I'm going to take it, and they're living there, and the stories they have there, and what it is to be from a country like they don't really have copyright laws like we do, and but all this this influencing for this crazy city that also happens to have the pyramids, and I don't know, it was amazing uh, to to have that that kind of um, conversation with someone that came from a character that was Cairo. <laughs> and uh to me, yeah, places are 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 characters and always been. So it, they are very important, yes. Right on. Uh Ryan. Yeah, I the question is that how important is geography? Uh yeah, like a uh, place as horror itself. Uh, how important is uh that to you and your stories? I mean Mariana brought up a great example with David Lynch and Southern California. Um, you know, you can point to the obvious, you know, Stephen King in Maine, Ronald Kelly and, and the Deep South. Um, but, you know, I've I've been literally all over the world, uh, mostly in the military. And for me, what I keep coming back to is the people in every one of those countries, when you boil it down, they all want the same thing. Um, there's, there's commonalities we all share as human beings. For me, I've always, I've always felt that horror fiction is most effective if you empathize with the characters. Um, you know, so I, it, it doesn't play a, a big role in what I write. I'm, I'm more interested in the characters and what makes them tick and how i can make them you know empathetic with the reader hmm. they, they don't have to be the good guys they they don't have to be the protagonists but i i want my reader to to give a shit about what happens to them you know uh that's why i've never been a big fan of slasher movies slasher movies don't take the time to to let you know who these characters are before jason and michael start slicing them up <laughs> um you know absolutely paul yeah Oops, sorry. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's infinite ways you can approach a horror story. So, like, you know, you don't have to have, like, you know, a certain atmosphere, a certain setting. So, I mean, I'll, I'll answer this sort of for myself because I feel like I made, like, an obvious self-discovery fairly recently. Now, I mean, most of my stories are set in Massachusetts, New England, partly because I'm lazy because I know the area. But also, sometimes it can be shorthand because of the sort of New England Gothic tradition you know, as a writer, you can take advantage of that shorthand or you could uh, undermine people's expectations. But um, when I say I made a self-discovery when I was writing like the liner notes for my new book, uh, I was like, oh, I've used the house that I've grown up in and more than half of my novels as like the main house. Like I always end up back at this place, you know, which really isn't there anymore. You know, and some of these stories have sort of like maybe start off big and then really compress and find themselves back into this house again. And even with this, you know, freaking horror movie novel, like, you know, there are people making a movie, but like important scenes end up taking place at this house, very quiet, 
disturbing scenes that was essentially my house. Um, you know, so for me, I think it's a little bit of what Brian said too, because it's about like the characters. And I always sort of, I know I go back to, you know, so if I'm keep going back to the house that I lived in where my father worked at the Parker brothers factory for 25 years, and he wasn't a suit. He was someone who worked on the assembly lines or the mail room, you know, that factory has gone. He lost his job. My mother was a, a bank teller. Um, you know, my dad now like can't retire. He's working, he's stocking shelves at a grocery store at age 74 going on 75. Uh, But like, you know, so like the house that I keep going back to, like it's it's disappeared, but I keep trying to bring it back. And like sort of like the economic reality of the people who live in that house doesn't really exist anymore. You couldn't be, you couldn't do the jobs that my father and mother did and have, you know, the little house that we had or and, and to be able to sort of exist. Um, so, you know, so all those sort of anxieties, <laughs> To me, it gets represented by like these houses and stories, you know, which I think also like when I think about like a lot of my favorite movies, like when when a haunted house story is done really well, to me, that, that that's the part that like really speaks to me. Nice. Uh, Gabino. I was um, I'm so glad that Mariana brought up psychogeography because I was born in a colony. So I think we're born angry um, and, <laughs> and, then, and then you get angrier as you grow older. Um, but, uh, if you take, um, take all the amazing short stories that, that Paul has written and try to try to come up with a collection of all the ones that are heavily influenced or, or take place at the beach, right? Um, <laughs> if you read, uh, uh, Brian's fiction and nonfiction, especially, um, he's, he's out there sitting by the river. He's looking at the river. Um, Cena writes about Chicago. Um, Mariana's work is, is. Argentinian to the core. Um, I started writing in English in 2008 and, and spent three novels sort of like dealing with this new otherness, this new language and, you know, Spanglish and all that stuff. The next one takes place back home. Um, you, you cannot take a kid who's growing up on the, on the beach in like California and then like a Texas kid and, and, and a kid from the Bronx and, and a kid growing up in a farm in Montana and put him in a room and pretend that because they're all 10 years old, they're going to be the same. So it's, it is a character. It influences how you see the world. Um, it, Sino was just talking about the sirens. Um, yeah, it's, it's Chicago. It's a Chicago thing. Um, so where you're from and where you set your stories, um, I'm going to pick a fight with Paul here because I don't think it's laziness. It's like, it's just it's in your blood, man. It's like, <laughs> it's the thing that comes out. It's, it's what, you know, it's what you see um, every day. We don't, we don't create just characters like out of the blue. Um, it's, it's this subconscious process where we take like bits and pieces of everyone that we interact with on a daily basis and people that we saw in the supermarket and this weird dude that rode the bus with us and, um and they're they're in the same place like it's cena's talking about like what like freaking 20 below um it was it was like it felt like five degrees here yesterday and people don't go out because give us the 100 degree summer man that's you know we can handle that you know but get close to the to the lower um single digits and we don't leave the house it's like sh shut it down we're not <laughs> we're not stepping outside so 
it, it is a character. It's there whether you want to or not. It's, it's in your psyche. It's part of who you are. Um, our characters just react to stimuli and, and they're going to react in a very particular way. They're going to talk. In a, I mean, uh, Brian mentioned Ronald Kelly. You can hear, it's like Joe Lansdale's work. You can hear the South in their writing and they're not doing accents. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's there whether you want to or not. So, yeah, super Excellent. important. Excellent. Uh, Sina. I'll try to keep my answer brief because we have friends that are traveling. Uh, like Bobino says, I write about Chicago. I was born in Puerto Rico and I was raised here. My parents are from the island. They, they grew up in the island and they came here in the 50s and 60s. And I was always really confused because my dad would always say, well, you're Latina. Here are all these pictures of these, this island and palm trees. This is where you're from. This is what you are. But like we're taking the train and we're going downtown. And so there was always like this level of confusion of this is what I am, where I'm from, then why are we here? But he raised me to have an intense love of this city. Like my father loved Chicago. He was like Mr. Chicago. He was like all over this town. And so I think I just kind of gravitated to just falling in love with this place. And so I think Chicago is a really fascinating city because it's like, well, we have America's first serial killer, H.H. Holmes. But then Walt Disney was also born at a house that I could walk to from my neighborhood. And it's just a very fascinating city with all of this light and dark. I mean, L. Frank Baum wrote parts of Wizard of Oz here. And I just remember my father telling me, well, that's a magical place, Chicago. There's so much here. And it's very diverse. There's a lot of history here. It's it's not Puerto Rico. It's not the island. Like, you know, Gabino and I are talking about the cold and it's like, we're from an island. We should have been encountering this cold. But this is, I mean, this is home. This is the place that raised me. And so I'm trying to tell it thank you for what you've given me. That's excellent. We're just going to do final thoughts and wrap it wrap it up the uh, episode so um i'll just start with you cena any final thoughts i just want to say i want to start off and saying to mariana it is un gran honor a conocerte because i am so like it's the big honor for me to meet mariana enrique <laughs> huge fan uh so hello thank you for being here and joining us and i just i just want to say thank you to everyone thank you to paul for joining us thank you to brian for like opening this bookstore and everything that you continue to do for the genre. Thank you to Gabino for like all of the work that you do. I don't know when you sleep. Thank you to Candace for the great. <laughs> Thank you to Candace for the wonderful question. Thank you to Brennan for all the wonderful questions. Thank you for Patrick for bringing us together. That's really my final thought. Just thank you all. You all do so much for the genre. And I am just like honored to know you and be able to be in discussion with you. Gabino. Or you let Cena go first. You kind of killed it. Um, I know, but it's not fair to the rest. I can't just say bye. Night. Right now, nah, I'll get you back for that one. Um, oh, first, come at come at this uh, with your with your heart in your hand every single time. I'm stoked to be here, mostly because I'm a fan and I'm a huge fan of everyone on this thing um, right now. Mariana, te un email, but. Uh, um, yeah, thank you all for being here. And uh, I think I'm going to go back to 2012 and say the same two things, uh, three things, actually, that, that uh, Brian told me back in Portland. 
number one, don't quit. You know, you're going to get hit. Don't quit. Keep at it. <laughs> don't, don't be an asshole. That's a rule for life. Um, and pay it forward. That was the third thing that he told me. Still doing it to this day. So um, it worked for me back in 2012 all the way to today. So um, it's going to work for you. Excellent. And thank you all for having us. Brian. Um, yeah. You know, don't quit. You're going to get hit. I- I've told both you kids that. Uh, and-, and Candace, I believe I've told you that as well. Um, don't be an asshole unless the person really deserves it. No, um, that that's what I will say. Look, 2024 is going to be tough, y'all. Uh, and we don't know what other people are going through, particularly if these are people that we only interact with online. It is easy to be a dick. It is easy to be an asshole. I'm living proof of that. I've, I've got an almost 30-year career of proving that. Uh, it's a lot more difficult to be kind and approach people with kindness. And I really think that's what we need to strive to do this year with, with our readers, with the public, uh, with our friends, with our peers. Absolutely. Uh, Mariana. I, I want to thank you too. And thank you, especially Cynthia. That was very nice. And Gabino, yes, you have to send me an email, send me that email. And, um, I I want you to know, basically, you and the people that are listening, that um, for the longest time I was, I, I started reading, uh, like, uh, you know, short story collections of, of horror, like in very pulpy, very, very cheap editions. And I was like, wow, like it was Ramsey Campbell, Bradbury, Peter Straub, that to me was a master. Um, Clyde yeah. Barker, uh, Tanit Lee, Tanana Rivdu, I don't know really how to say it. Uh, and then Poppy Bride doing the Love in Vain uh, collections. And I kept on the tradition. We don't want Ellen Dalto. And that's where I knew Paul, that's where I knew Stephen. Uh, Graham Jones, that's where I knew Brian Evanson that just called me for an anthology now. So it's like full circle. And uh, to me, Brian is like a genius or something. <laughs> and um, yeah, and and that's where I read Langan for the first time. And it was, and I felt that, you know, even when they were not talking, it was I. I, I remember getting the first Brian books too that were kind of difficult <clears throat> here, and I always felt that even when we were not talking about the same, I felt that they were talking to me, and I felt that I could tell my stories too. I, I thought that that this is my tribe, kind of, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's pretty special. I I mean not not only to me uh, now knowing all these people that to me were like I was always looking up to and and writing under their influence, but and also their kind and and whatever. But also. It's, I think it's good to know that from really far away, one can read these 
you know, uh, short, mostly it was for me it was the short stories because other things were difficult to get and be completely in awe and feeling that they're talking to you. That is really not that much a matter of distance or that it's it's a it's a universal language horror for real. And it's not because I know English. It's it's, it's not that because um, like I was talking before, I didn't know if Maine was a real thing, or you know, <laughs> or, or some or something he invented, like you know, some kind of invented place to put all his stories because they're all there. So I, I, I for the longest time I thought that. And then you know, Maine is not very famous. You <laughs> know, outside <laughs> we know California, New York, but Maine is like what. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> so um so that was yeah it was very universal and i was i was a fan you know i, I wanted to be in one of those and uh more than thinking about like the big names or or, or anything and uh i still have all adult, that that way is all my and also with the british authors like uh, I, I don't know Patrick, Patrick McGrath, I'm a big fan, uh, John Harrison. So it's it's kind of amazing to see that there's kind of a, also a new generation and this keeps going and there's fanzines and there's very crazy stuff out, out there. And I just, you know, want to say thank you and hopefully that this could grow even more, you know? Mm. Well. Okay, I'll be mostly quick, but I did homework, and I'm going to subject you to it. <laughs> but first, <laughs> you, know, you know, thank you, and it's an honor to be here with all you beautiful souls. Honestly, like one of the coolest parts about, you know, for me, for being a writer has been meeting, you know, most of my writer heroes, and they're all like really swell, cool, beautiful people. And even cooler is I know that I'm going to get to meet more uh, of my heroes that are, you know, either just starting off now or, you know, I haven't gotten to meet yet. I do have to add, uh, Mariana and Patrick. The next time John Langan's on here, have him do his Brian Evanson impersonation. It sounds a lot. It sounds a lot like Please. Luke Wilt. It sounds a lot like Luke Wilson, but it's great. <laughs> but so anyway, my homework, just because I did write some stuff down, because we were talking about newer writers, I wrote a list. I'm not going to read the whole list, but I do want to give shout outs to so some of the newer writers we've been talking in general. Yeah. I know we've mentioned some names, but I do want to. You know, call out, you know, Alison Rumfit. Holy shit, her books freaking do you know the if someone's a, oh, someone's not playing it safe, there should be a picture of Alison Rumfit's uh you know <laughs> author author photo. Uh John Milas, I know, you know, Brian, you've raved about his book, um, his first novel. Yeah. Uh I'll go a little bit quicker. CJ Lead, Chick uh Chikodali Amulamadu, Gus Moreno, Clemence Michelle, and Erica Wirth, Nick Medina, Julia Armfeld. Luke Dumas, Aaron, uh, Aaron Adams, Stephanie Feldman, Connor Habib, Claire Beams. I mean, I, I have more names that just shows sort of the health, the, the growing health of uh, of the genre that we're all in. I guess the last thing, too, is Brian talked about this a little bit when he was talking about his bookstore, but especially it's been a rough month for, uh, you know, the world, but, off, you know, so many great people in the speculative fiction community have passed away in this month. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, with like heart, you know, well, uh, Harold Waldrop just passing away. Obviously, you know, people who have passed away that were friends. You know, I just wanted to mention Rick Bowes as sort of an example of someone who, 
was writing what wasn't described then because you really didn't, you know, publishing wouldn't describe it as queer fiction, was writing it for decades. You know, and he was a mentor to so many New York City writers in the in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, so like the idea of looking looking forward, but also, you know, be sure to look back as well, you know, uh, when you can. Excellent. Uh, Candice, Brennan, and then I'll go. And then we'll close up. I just want to say thank you to everyone. And we appreciate you here and have a great time. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Piggybacking off that. Thank you all so much for, for staying up late. I know you all got uh, things to do tomorrow. And uh, poor Mariana, is uh, it's, it, it's like midnight there. Uh, so we're very, very grateful uh, for your time and to start off. Oh, it's season okay. Five. I'm nocturnal. <laughs> <laughs> um, to start off season five with a group of people who, whose writing, you know, means so much to us. I mean, like I look around the shoemakers, magician, ghoul, coyote songs. Uh, I think of the dirty kid from things we lost in the fire, head full of ghosts. Every person on this panel has written something with that, that will stay with me for the rest of my life. So to gather us all together and have a conversation has been a privilege. Thank you all. You guys, both Candice and Brian pretty much said everything I want to say. So I'll just repeat it. Thank you to Brian and Cena. Thank you, Gabino. Thank you, Mariana, Paul. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to be here. You guys mean a lot to the genre, to a lot of people, to me, Brian and Candice. So it's awesome to talk to you guys about this. And, uh, Candice, Brennan, thank you guys for being on this fun ride with me. And listeners, viewers, thank you for checking us out. And uh, as always, if you have any choices in podcasts, thank you for checking us out.